We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, Chiefs Kingdom? Welcome to another special episode of Outside the Trenches. I'm BJ Kissel, joined as always by my fearless two co-hosts in Nick Leckie and Tucker Franklin. Nick, how are we doing tonight, my man? I'm fantastic. I'm fantastic. How are you gentlemen doing this evening? Good. Couldn't be better. I'm with you, Nick. I, I think it's always a good night. It's the, the kickoff to football on every night until Tuesday. Yeah. Couldn't be better, right? All is right with the world. NFL season's here. College is in full swing. Got week one under our belts. Now it's on to week two and beyond. Well, Buzz Lightyear. We've got, yeah, we've got a fun show. Nick, you were just mentioning before we started recording that we're just a few days away from something you have been looking forward to for quite a while, if you'd like to share it with the people. Monday, September 20th, Jack Stack is opening in my neighborhood. In my neighborhood, I mean Lenexa. Not my neighborhood, but nearby, so I can easily eat up some, eat some Crown Prime ribs, get some burn ends, get some hickory pit beans, some cheesy corn, and start my meat coma on the drive to the house. And I'm just about seven, eight minutes away, so I've already done the timing and everything like that. When I, it can kick in, and I can lay down on my couch with all that goodness that Jack Stack has to offer. When you think about it, it really is like the perfect location because they didn't have anything on that side of town. There's really not a ton of barbecue. And you tell me if I'm wrong, considering you live over that way but it's really most of the concentration of barbecue places is on the other side of town on the other side of 435 not on the kansas side uh so kudos to jack stack for finding that little hidden gem of a location because you drive by it a lot of traffic right there Nick. yeah it's a very very high visibility area and that corner is hot you know that's like uh like million dollar corner if you're a fan of um push a t and that's what it is too and that's what it's going to be and you got so much activity right there. And like I said, I'm just beyond excited. I'm just beyond excited. I'm just so happy for it to be here. All right. What I am beyond excited for, and it's going to be a little bit different of a show, um, in that we had a special interview earlier this morning with former Chiefs quarterback Matt Castle. I was able to catch up with him, and we're going to drop that interview in here. And then once that interview from earlier today is done rolling, we're going to come back and give you our thoughts on the game against the Baltimore Ravens uh, coming up on Sunday Night Football, as well as the Blind Mills segment, uh, which has become a go-to here on Outside the Trenches, but uh, really enjoyed catching up with Matt Castle. And I guess when we come back, Nick, you could share some stories since you guys have a little history. You guys know each other a little bit, uh, which was cool and being a chance to, to talk with them because I did not have a relationship with Matt Castle before this interview. But just as a Chiefs fan, there were certain 
few things that I had to know about. And uh, we got those questions out and a lot more. So this is a really fun interview. Uh, and here's earlier this morning with former Chiefs quarterback, Matt Castle. What's up, Chiefs Kingdom? Welcome to another special episode of Outside the Trenches. And we've got a special guest today, as you can see, and former NFL quarterback and former Chiefs quarterback, Matt Castle. Matt, man, we appreciate your time today. Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm fired up to be here, man. And before we get started, I need to give you the opportunity, because any Chiefs fan who's watching, uh, what do you think, Matt? You go on to Google and you type in Matt Castle Chiefs. The first thing that they see is you trying to put a fucking hat on and you can't do it. Can you just show us that you know how to put a hat on? Look, everybody, I know how to put a hat on, okay? It was a sweaty day. There's a lot of circumstances going on. I was a little upset, just threw a pick in the game. And uh, yes, but I do know how to put a hat on. Look, it fits well. I can do it. I can, I can settle it in. I actually feel more comfortable with a hat on most days. So we're, we're going to go. So there you go. We're going to put you putting a hat on out in the internet and see if it can go viral in the same kind of way. But in perfect. The, perfect. since you and I missed each other during, like you were left the chiefs before I got there and we don't know each other that well, I want to do a little icebreaker exercise here at the beginning. And we're going to roll a video. that's got just a bunch of gifts that chiefs fans are very familiar with during the time that you were playing. The first one is going to be very familiar. We were just talking about it in that video, but I just want to get your reaction to some of these other videos. Again, as, a, as somebody who grew up a Chiefs fan and was, you know, following every single thing that was happening, you know, since 2008, um, I want to get your reaction to some of these famous Chiefs gifts. Let's do this. I can't wait to see these actually. Oh, see that bruise on my elbow? That's what it was. Oh, just, oh, just <laughs> lost it. Like I said, it's a hot day out there. You can see I was sweating. Yeah, there's no excuse for that. Just really trying to get that hat on quick, cover up that face. You can see the look of disappointment in my face right there. I was just like, oh, my gosh, did that just happen on a screen pass? Dexter was supposed to turn around. <laughs> Years of work your entire life. And people are, when they Google you now, like this is the video that pops up first. Yes. At least it's not now where I've got more of a bald spot in the back of my head. You know, at least I can rock, you know, a little bit, a little bit. Yeah, that's just bad ball right there. It's just bad ball. Got to get that on the head. <laughs> and did you look right at the camera? Like, did you know that the camera was right there when you did that? Or is that just natural? Like, no, that this was what I like. Disappointment. One in the play. Number two, that I couldn't get my hat on my head and that I didn't want to have to stand up reach over the back and like pick it up and put it on again. That would be probably even more embarrassing. So I was just going to let it go. <laughs> so you yell at Brad G and you're just like, give me my hat. Like somebody give me my hat. Somebody who's over there on the sideline. <laughs> All right. What is the Kenny powers? Like, can, please give us the backstory on this. Okay. So I got called to do K Swiss, like do be a sponsor in K Swiss. And I was endorsed by them. And then they called me and said, Danny McBride, it, it wants to do something as Kenny powers. And so it was awesome. Went down there and this actual scene was hilarious because we're sitting there and they don't really give you a script. Are we doing that one too? I mean, <laughs> no, 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 Tucker. Yes. We're going to do that one too. I got to get your reaction to that one, but let's talk about the K-Swiss. Okay. So the K-Swiss one, I get, I go down, we're filming and the, they have these boards and I'm throwing out and I think K-Swiss tubes and all these different segments. Right. And so at first I was like, do they really want me to throw the shoe and nail this, you know, extra that's sitting there on the phone acting like he's busy. And so at first I kind of like toss it at him with a little, little bit of force, but not too much. And the producer goes, cut. I go, 
what, what, what? And he's like, dude, I want you to F this guy up. Like, I want you to throw it like you would. And I was like, are you serious? He's like, yes. So for he the next yeah. three clips, I just <laughs> absolutely annihilate this guy's hand. I'm so shocked that he's not broke, didn't break his finger. But then Danny McBride throws that muffin and he hit him like four times. One in his Adam's apple, he's coughing. Another one, he had mu a muffin in his eyelid. It was the funniest thing you've ever seen. So that was, was the guy good. a good sport about it. He, I think so. Yeah, I guess he was getting paid for it and he was really into it because he was just getting completely worked, dude. With the, every segment was just like, I felt bad for the guy. I was like, I'm really sorry that I'm going to continue to throw this shoe at you. All right, let's roll the next one that we've already kind of seen a little bit. And this is the one I got to get your reaction to this gift because the Todd Haley hot dog gift may be the most oh. viewed gift. That's one of my favorite, like the, just the, the facial expression, pure excitement and joy. And I know exactly what happened. What happened was we, I think we were playing the Cardinals and Larry Fitzgerald came out on the field and he was looking over at him. And all of a sudden he started, oh, and he started like doing this thing. And then what's it was Larry Fitzgerald. I was like, it makes me laugh. And our, my teammate, who you know, Ryan Lilja was out there. And we laughed so hard every time we saw this. I mean, it was classic. It's a top three NFL GIF. Not just Chiefs, like, NFL GIF that's ever been made. Like, it was just absolutely perfect. Whoever All right, let's keep moving. An outstanding job. All right. Let's keep moving on to the next few. And, yeah, this one, as I remember exactly where I was during this game, this was the, the the team hadn't had a lead in a like seven weeks, eight weeks. Sorry if this bring back bad memories, but I no. can specifically remember my wife and I were living in San Diego. I was at a bar in San Diego by myself. I was the only one there watching the Chiefs game in prime time, and I watched them dance. And then there was the penalty. But when you remember, when you see this, what do you what do you first remember? You know, I do remember them celebrating normally on the sideline, though. Like if you're not on the field as uh, like playing offense and the defense is on the field, sometimes you're up watching a lot. But a lot of times you're making adjustments, trying to figure out, OK, how are we going to approach this? This is a heck of a game on. Was it was it uh, Monday night? It was Monday night. Yeah. yeah, it was a heck of a game. We came out to play. Unfortunately, yeah, we ended up losing that game. But I do remember this little dance that they were doing and celebrating. And then they got the penalty, right, for excessive yep. celebration? Yeah, that. yeah, I remember screaming in the bar by myself, like, just let us have some fun. Like, Please, just let us have some fun out there. Celebrate, dance, Come on. This game is a child's game. Let us have some fun, right? Yeah, exactly. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. But I do vividly remember that moment. And, uh, yeah, it didn't turn out too well. I can't believe they threw a flag on that. That's so ridiculous. Yeah, that was bad. All right, let's move on to the next couple. Here we go. Here's some highlights. We were just talking about this game before we started. Out the gate, cover two. And you know what? I, we knew that we could throw deep in cuts this this team, but I hit him in stride and he went. And this is the funniest part about that whole entire play was Dwayne's running down the field, right? And he, I, I'm running down chasing the play. He jumps into the stands. Then Dexter McCluster goes in the stands. Then my big ass tries to get in the stands, and I hardly get up. Well, on that next Monday, I get a phone call, or I get a letter in the um, in, in the mail that's saying I'm being fined for jumping in the stands. I'm like, what the hell? I was celebrating. Like, I didn't do anything other than jump in the stands with everybody else. So then I had to get on a phone call. You know, they've got their executive committee that makes a decision on fines. And I just told them, look, guys. I was completely out of breath. 
I finally got down the field. I see my teammates jumping in the stands. I jump in the team. I jump in the stands. What's the big deal? And they said, well, you can only do it in Lambeau. Little did I know that. So I was like, look, I won't do it again because I didn't know one. I didn't really want to jump in the stands, but two, I didn't know the rule. And they're like, okay, we'll, we'll rescind the fine. No, no fine. And I was like, okay, great. But that was a good play. <laughs> That's good. There was actually another celebration gift that I didn't put in here um, of you jumping and celebrating with somebody after a touchdown and you fell on the ground. I did not put that in here, just so you, you know. You should have. I remember it vividly. It was against the Seattle Seahawks in a preseason game. Throw a touchdown. Going to go celebrate with Dexter. You know, we'd like to do the jump shoulder bump type deal. Dexter's a little bit shorter. Maybe I was a little excited to get too much height. And he literally took my legs out from underneath me. And I thought I broke my tailbone and my hip in the same play by landing on. You know, it, it was just a comedy of errors at times when uh, I look back at some of these situations. <laughs> and that's exactly why I didn't put it in there. I was like, hey, I don't know. Like, we haven't talked before. We don't know each other that well. I can't put too many gifts like that in there next time. We'll, we'll break that one oh, down. Right. Let's keep let's keep going. We can just roll the rest of these, Tucker, because a lot of these are just Debo highlights. Because if there's anything that stands out during that time is that Dwayne Bowe, who before Tyree Kill went down, he was the best receiver in Chiefs history, along with Otis Taylor. You know, Man, he was a beast. He really was, and we had a, a, a great connection there for a, for a while. And he's a guy that could just go and get any ball. You could throw it in his vicinity and he'd go make a play for you. And he was such a big target too. And he was good in traffic. I mean, I love Debo and I love his approach and everything else. And also he was a great teammate. You know, there, there's those receivers you play with that are in your face and screaming at you, like, give me the ball. Oh, you're gonna play this one again. That's great. But nonetheless, <laughs> we're good. Nonetheless, Dwayne was an incredible guy. He never complained, just came into the huddle. Like we'd have discussions and, and, and just went out and did his job. And that's what I always appreciated about Dwayne was that it was never any hassle or argument or combativeness with him. He's just like, all right, you know, you can get mad at me. You can yell at me. You can do these things, but I'm just going to go be myself and, and go play ball. And so that, that was uh, a special connection with my boy Debo. I, I'm going to ask what your favorite Dwayne Bow story is. And I'm going to give you a chance to think about it. Cause I'll share one of my, favorite Dwayne Bowe stories because we were there just there I think the first year I was with the Chiefs he was we were there together um, and I'll never forget it was one of the first interviews that I did uh, when they hired me I went to the locker room up in St. Joe and I was asking he lost a little bit of weight like veterans do you know just you get a little bit older you lose you know three or four pounds each year right. and I just remember asking him some question to the effect of hey you losing weight you know trying to you know, get a little faster get that separation for you and Alex to you know have like great chemistry or whatever it was and he was like yeah, you need separation, but really, this is about trust. This is about him throwing me the ball. I don't care how many guys I have, and we're going to go out there, and we're just going to get popping. And I remember being so confused on how to respond after that answer because I didn't know what I was like. I was barely interviewing players at that point, and I was in the lot. It was just one-on-one in the locker. I think Ted Cruz was there, too, standing next to me. I was just like – and I wanted to say, so you don't think it's your job to get open? He just needs to throw you the ball no matter what? <laughs> like, I think that's yeah, to the you know extent of which I asked. And I think he basically said, like, yep. Yeah, I mean, that, that was a that was part of his game and a component of his game where he didn't have to be wide open. He didn't have to create crazy separation because he was such a big target. And we kind of mastered the back shoulder. You know, I'd say if he didn't create separation right away, I could just throw it in that general area. And he had that big, long reach and he'd go up and snag the ball. And so he kind of was under like that's how he believed. He's like, it doesn't matter if I'm covered, dude. 
just throw me the ball. Like that's how he always operated. Even, I mean, the one year in 2010, he, what he had 17, 18 touchdowns and mm-hmm. he wasn't always open. There's no doubt about that, but I just trusted the fact that he was going to go get the ball. And we were able to create a lot of, you know, single high coverage because they had to load the box because Jamal Charles was a beast, but then that created one-on-one opportunities. And I trusted him that he'd go beat the, any DB that he was going up against. So he was he was a beast, man. He really was. He, he was a, a fun guy to play with. What's your favorite bow story that you can share? You know what? My favorite bow story. We I've got a lot of different bow stories, but I think one of my favorite was that year after 2010. So we both went to the Pro Bowl, and so we go to the Pro Bowl. And when you get there, it's it, it's awesome. You get to hang out the whole week with all these incredible players and, and their families and everything else. But we get into the game, and what they do is they give you like a new playbook and you're trying to learn new terminology during the week, which let's be honest, we're not all studying, right? We're sitting by the pool, having daiquiris, doing all the different stuff. Well, we get in the game and I'm calling plays and Dwayne's looking at me like, the heck is that? Like, I don't, I don't know. And I was like, I hardly know. I was like, all right. So then I just started telling him our plays. I was like, Dwayne, you're running this. You're running a stop route. You're running the post route. And then he's like, all right, I got you, dog. And then he just go make plays. I mean, he, he was, it was hilarious. But I love the fact that he just would sit there and be like, what do I have? And I was like, never mind. I'm just going to tell you our plays and we'll figure it out. Just draw it on the football. Just draw right it on for them. Here, I'm going to draw it on the back of your hand. Here, do this. That is awesome. And you know what, Matt, when I was watching your interview the other day with, with Pat McAfee, which was hilarious, by the way, anybody who's listening needs to go ch- listen to that. That was a fantastic interview. Uh, yeah. One of the things that that caught my attention, and, and we talked a little bit about this before we recorded, and that you know there were ups and downs, and there was definitely some interesting times when you were with the Chief. We'll say interesting times, but uh, everyone that I crossed paths with there always spoke so highly of you. Uh, and not just like what you do in the field, but who you were as a person, how you carried yourself to the the people that you interacted with that are there, the support staff and those people. When you think about your time in Kansas City, because during the Pat McAfee show, you were asked like, you know, what was the least favorite place to live? And I was just like, please don't say Kansas City because I'm interviewing oh, like man. the next day. And it, you said it was one of your, like, your favorite places. So my question for you, because I was out in San Diego with my wife at the time, right. when you were living in San Diego, like, where did you hang out? Like, what did you do with the family like when you guys went and did stuff like what were your favorite things to do when you were in Kansas City yeah you know man I, I appreciate those comments I mean we I wouldn't trade my time in Kansas City for anything I know that we had ups and downs and football didn't go exactly as I wanted it to and but I, I'm a firm believer that through through those different adversities you know that there there comes progress and advancement and now you grow as a person you learn to deal with different stuff but when we were in Kansas City we loved the city itself we lived in a community called Lock Lloyd and we had so many great friends. And at the time, though, we were, we were a young family. We we're starting out. Three of my children, of three of my five children, were born in Kansas City. So it holds a special, dear place for myself and my wife. And with that being said, when you have young kids in Kansas City, it's not like you're raging in power and light district, which I did like to do at times. But like we were going to Deanna Rose Farm, by the way. Yeah. One of the most special spots, if any families are out there, I mean, Deanna Rose Farm, obviously we'd spend some time at the zoo and then the aquarium and and do that kind of stuff. But it was more family oriented than anything else. I mean, we've had our spots to go eat like Blue Stem and we we love a good Jack Stack. Obviously, there's barbecue all over, Um, but we have 
we had a great experience there, man. And there weren't a lot of complaints and there's still some of my dearest friends are friends from Kansas city. And even last year, my wife and I were to talk about taking a road trip back to Kansas city to go see our old stomping ground, take the kids and let them see where they're born and everything else. So a lot of fun times and uh, a lot of great memories there. Yeah. You gotta let me know if you come back, we'll, uh, we'll get you guys some Jack stack and uh, get you taken care of that way. But uh, but yeah, Deanna Rose, I live about five minutes from Deanna Rose and we're going there this weekend for a par- uh, birthday party. So yeah. I'm very familiar with the, uh, I have goes. a six-year-old. Before Let's go. The kids yeah. love, <laughs> you know, and speaking of goats and pigs and it's funny because talking about the interview you had the other day that you are getting into farming uh, in a way. And it's funny because on our network, on one of our other shows, the Casey laboratory, Maddie right. Lane, one of our guys lives out in North Carolina, raises pigs and goats and all this stuff and for years they would tweet about it and the guys would talk about it. And I always thought he was kidding. Like I thought it was just like a, like a, like a bit. Right. And then come to find out is like sending pictures of like baby pigs and baby goats. So if you need help, we've got a guy that might be able to help say. you with that. But how is that going for you? And explain for anyone who's listening, you've got like a farm going on down there. in Tennessee. yeah, we've got, we've got some acreage out here and we've already got like 11 chickens. And I said this on the Pat McAfee show the other day, I was like, you know, there's nothing like organic eggs which it's kind of true, but you know, chickens are pretty self-reliant, but now my wife is adding pigs to the, to the farm and I'm sitting there going pigs. I've not, I mean, I've always heard, you know, pigs are, she tries to say that pigs are like, they're clean and they're easy. I was like, really? All I've ever heard about pigs is like, they love to lay in mud and they go to the bathroom a lot and they're not easy animals. They might be smart, but they're not much to them, but she's like having me set up, uh, an area for the pigs with the fencing and like a little lean to it. I'm going, Oh my gosh, I'm in over my head. She wants to get goats. I'm like, all right, fine. Let's just do this. Let's make our own little Deanna Rose farms. Let's go. There you I go. You that's, start her charging, that's her vision. You start charging people down there in, in the Nashville area. But um, I want to switch gears a little bit because you talk about non-football stuff all day long, but I want to ask you as somebody obviously played this game for a long time. Uh, when you watch Patrick Mahomes, it's it's easy to get caught up in some of the physical stuff. Right. But as somebody who played this game for a, a long time and a lot of different schemes, a lot of different places, what do you appreciate most when you see Patrick Mahomes playing football out on the field, the way that you see the game? Right. Well, obviously the physical gifts speak for themselves, right? His ability to throw from so many different angles, his ability to escape the pocket and put himself in a better position to let those guys work downhill. I mean, work to get open and do those kind of things. But, you know, as much as people look at him maybe as a gunslinger at times, just because of the nature and how he plays, he is so calculated and he does such a great job of taking care of the ball and not putting his team in a bad position. And he's so smart between knowing when a play might be over or taking off and getting the first down for his for his team on a critical third down. I mean, he is the complete package. He's the best quarterback, in my opinion, in the game right now in the NFL. And it definitely helps when you have all those weapons. But the reason why those weapons are so successful, the Travis Kelsey and the Tyreek Hill, is because of him, right? It's not the uh, – and, again, he benefits from their skill set, but he puts them in a position to be successful. Even the play last week against the Cleveland Browns where he rolls out to his right and Tyreek Hill's working down the field and he throws him open and Tyreek makes a play for him and goes 65 or 70 yards, whatever it was. I mean, that's a huge play in the game, and he's got – unbelievable composure. He's a great leader. And then you put, put all that together with a great offensive structure. I mean, he he's about as special as it gets in this game. 
one of the things that you had mentioned the other day also was as a quarterback, it's always really difficult early in the season because you're facing defenses that you can study from the year before and kind of the tendencies, the coordinators, like what they like to do. But there's always going to be wrinkles. There's always going to be unscouted looks that you're going up against. And again, we talk about like video game numbers. Patrick Mahomes in his career, 35 touchdowns, zero interceptions, and 11-0 and in the month of September. And again, somebody who played is saying it is more difficult early because you have no information. How much of that is Patrick Mahomes? How much of it is Andy Reid and prep? And how much of that is just he's the best player in football? Well, be- being the best player in football is pretty good. Having a, having a great roster is great. Having the understanding and chemistry of having the same offensive coordinator basically his entire tenure too, where he's been able to, to develop and continue to grow within that system too, um, is, is helpful, but it's very rare that a guy has those type of statistics. Cause again, like you just said, you spend six to eight months in an off season, obviously the defensive coordinators are going to come out and have wrinkles. They're going to change their scheme. They're going to be, they're going to know that you're the opponent whenever the schedule comes out for a long time to say, okay, how can we, you know, attack him in a different manner in which other teams aren't, or what wrinkle can we do? Who can we take away that'll make it more difficult for Patrick Mahomes? And they all have those discussions, but nobody's been able to implement a plan that's been able to go out and be successful. So that's what makes it so uniquely special to be able to have that type of success early in the season, especially when you don't have all the film that you do later in the season to go back and watch the last four games and how they played certain opponents that have similar um, characteristics to what your team does or your offensive structure. Um, So, I mean, it's like you don't see that a lot. And that's why you don't see it all. Who else has those type of stats to start their start uh, September? I mean, it's absolutely incredible. My quarterback and my creative player in Madden. (laughs) He's, he's, yes, got, he's got stat, he's got stats like that, but he's got great um, I want to ask too, because there's so many storylines in the, the NFL world becomes very small. Like once you're in it, you kind of, it's, I don't say the good old boy network. Everyone knows each other. People go from one team to another and guys right. that you played with in Kansas city, the storylines now still fit together. Nick Sirianni is where I'm going with this. And that now with the Philadelphia Eagles, who the chiefs play in just a couple of weeks, when you were with the Chiefs and some of those young guys, like Brian Dable was another one that came to Kansas City, had, a, let's say, a learning experience during his time there and has since gone on and, and had success. And he's one of those hot names out there of guys that are having success with what they're doing. But you know, when you were with Kansas City, who are some of those young coaches uh, in speaking to Nick uh, Sirianni specifically that you just kind of knew were destined for good things? Like this guy is, is going to keep progressing in this league because he's very good at what he does. Right. I think Nick's a great example of somebody that I knew that was going to have success in this league. He was young. He was hungry. He was motivated. He was willing to listen and motivated to learn. Right. And motivated. And that's the biggest part is you've got to continue to learn and grow. And and the other part to be a successful coach, you've got to be one, a good teacher. And then you also have to be able to relate to the players, because especially when you're a position coach, you spend a lot of time with one group. But as you go into those larger roles, like the offensive coordinator role, you're dealing with a whole group of different different men, different position groups. You have to know the offense in its entirety and its totality. And so you can't just focus on one thing. And that was the part that always impressed me about Nick. He always got along with everybody. He worked extremely hard. And even when I was there, the first year I was there, Chan Gailey was our coordinator. 
that offseason, and then he was fired a week before season. Todd took over play calling um, responsibilities. But Nick was kind of forced into the role of being our quarterback coach. And really, we started to build a, an outstanding relationship, and we – we spent a lot of time together and I, you know, I taught him things that I learned along the way. And then he was, so, he was like a sponge, right? He'd soak it all in and he just continued to see him get better and better and better every time he came into the building. And then he went on to the chargers and then obviously the Colts and they, everybody that's been around him knew that he was something special. Now that he's with the, yeah. the Eagles, I'm super stoked for him as being a guy that's got his opportunity. And he started off with a bang with a great win the other day um, for the, Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, that was that was a huge win for them. And Sirianni is one of those names. Diehard Chiefs fans, like we knew his name because everybody, you know, internally and you guys were speaking highly about him back then. But even around the league, as you said, as he was moving around, he was always one of those names you just kind of heard. So when he finally got the job, even as he, even as a young coach, you'd kind of heard of him for a while. So uh, right. you were intrigued. And obviously we've seen that early success. Um, you talk about some of the support. Uh, some of the support that you've gotten from the assistant coaches. I want to give you a platform here to, to talk about, I don't want to say your favorite because I don't want to put you in that spot, but there are a lot of people behind the scenes that work with different NFL organizations that support you guys as players, whether it's the player engagement people, whether it's the communication staff, whether it's athletic training, whether it's the equipment staff, whoever it is, I'm going to give you a platform now to thank someone who you were with in Kansas City, a support staffer um, that might not, you know, get all the love, but does their job and and makes it a better experience for the players. Uh, who is somebody that you just think very fondly of during your time that wasn't a coach, but um, didn't necessarily help you win a football game, right. uh, but was there and supported you, your family, and that you want to show some love to? I mean, man, there are so many people in that building, and, and I don't think people really recognize how, mu how much impact, like you said, the support staff uh, plays a role in, in just your day-to-day -day and your success and the being in the right mental state. I mean, may rest in peace. One of my dearest and the person that I always loved was Dave Price. He was our tra head trainer when I was there, guy that spent so much time just dedicating himself to helping players and not only that but it was awesome because you'd walk in and you'd sit in his office with your cup of coffee and we just sit there and have a conversation and i love the man i love the person the swag that he carried i mean he'd always have his boots on when he, when he went on the plane but he was an incredible human being an incredible family man had great perspective and just was always in your corner you know whether it was good or bad i could always walk in there and have a great conversation and you know, it's unfortunate he passed away, but uh, his memory still lives on with me. And uh, I, I really enjoyed my time there with with him in particular. But Alan Wright's another guy who's still the equipment manager there. Shrop. I mean, Shrop probably I, I broke more fingers on Shrop's hands. OK, maybe I didn't throw that hard Shrop. But at the same time, he's the guy who came out and ca caught balls for me. Anytime I needed during um, practice, warm-ups, he was always there. Alan was always our guy taking care of us in the equipment room. And another guy that came in that really uh, helped from a media standpoint and gave great perspective, but also great ideas and, and how to handle different situations that otherwise I probably wouldn't. It was Ted Cruz. I mean, Ted Cruz um, is still a guy that I, I communicate with and send texts with. All these guys, actually, I still will occasionally send texts with and then talk to. So, I mean, there's a, so many people that I'm missing, but those are the people that, like, they, they are, have a fondness. I mean, I have a fondness for and will always appreciate 
all the stuff that they did for me while I was there. All right, Matt, I just got a couple more questions for you. We'll let you go. We do appreciate your time. Um, when, let me give you your best story. And I, I know it's a very loaded question because there are a lot of really good people. When you talk about on the field, off the field, when you think back of a story that you haven't told before, a funny one uh, with a teammate, what's a funny story that Chiefs fans that they haven't heard before um, that you that you can share? That's not quite so juicy. Um, but what's like a funny story that you can share? Oh, gosh, a funny, funny story that I could share about a teammate and I, I mean, there's a lot of funny stories over the years. I mean, I, I, one that you guys would appreciate. I mean, I think Ryan Lilge is one of the funniest dudes, but he also would get in the huddle and he'd always have this look on his face, right? And he'd be staring at you. And so you get in the huddle and you call play. And then as soon as he'd get to line of scrimmage, you go, check, 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 check. Like he would forget or, or he just was so amped up about the play, he'd forget that like what it was called on, like what the cadence was, whether it was one or on two or even a double dummy cadence. And so he'd always go, he'd be in his stance and he'd go, check, check, check. And so finally I was like, all right, I'm going to mess with him. So I get up to the line of scrimmage and he's going, check, check, check. And I'm like, I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to answer him right now. I'm not even going to answer him. And he goes, check, check, check. And so finally I was like, Lilja, it's on one like that. And he's like, <laughs> you're such a I was like, dude, just listen, pay attention to the huddle, Lilja. I mean, it was it was hilarious. And then that's it actually was in this game against San Francisco in 2010. And then later on that game, we're sitting there and Justin Smith, their big defensive tackle sitting there. And we're actually winning the game and we're trying to put it away at this point. And Justin Smith sitting there and um, he's going, the run's coming this way. It's coming this way. And. And I look at Lilja, and then I just stopped my cadence. I said, no, it's not, Justin. <laughs> and all I could hear is Lilja just start laughing. He's just giggling at the line of scrimmage. And then I say, and then I snap the ball, and we run the opposite direction. But it was funny as hell to listen just to Lil just laugh. Sorry, I just bumped my knee on there. But, yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of good stories. Some of them are more appropriate than others. But those make me laugh because Lilja – and I still have such a good relationship that we just laugh a lot about circumstances like that because it's just fun on the field stuff, the banter and the camaraderie that you get just playing against one another. It's it's good. That's that's good. I, the last year I was with the Chiefs, I was the sideline reporter for the radio network. So I got to hear everything down oh, yeah. there and like people, fans, people. I've heard the idea that like, Hey, we need to make like more sound available and like use like the fan experience at home. And part of me is like, listen, if everybody heard everything, America couldn't handle it. Like it, it, the country. And I mean this in the most endearing way, it could not handle what's actually said on the field. People's opinions of other people would completely change in the the society that we're in right now. That's all nicest way I can say it. What is going on? And what did he just say? Yeah, what did you say in the, some of the petty arguments you get in or just the banter that goes back back and forth? Or even when you're sitting there sometimes during like a, a lull in the game and the conversations that take place that have nothing to do with what's about to go on on the field. Oh, yeah. like, Why are we talking about this right now? All right, let's get back to the game. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, I'm standing on the sideline. You hear players talking. And you're like, oh, I wonder if they're breaking a scheme down to talk about something. And they're like... <laughs> about dinner or some movie or something else like they're engaged in the game but thinking about something completely different ever since we talked about doing this interview i've wanted to ask this question i don't know the best way to ask it other than 
have you had a chance because your story is so unique from your college career and not playing to going to the NFL, throwing over a hundred you know, touchdowns in your career, that doesn't happen. Like that is crazy. Have you had a chance to kind of step back and just understand how unique that your career has been coming out of USC, getting the opportunity with the Patriots, sitting for a while, and then the injury to Tom Brady, Bernard Pollard. But like getting that opportunity and kind of everything that's happened since, have you had a chance to kind of step back? I know you haven't been out of the game all that long, but like, holy cow, this is completely unique compared to most every other story of anyone that's ever played quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, you know, I do sometimes think back, but it's one of those situations that it's it's my story. And then I'm, I understand that I was just very blessed to have an opportunity. I mean, I, I never anticipated in a million years that after USC, the way that it went, not being able to like get on the field. And I didn't start one game, right? I played behind Carson Palmer. I played behind Matt Leinart. I had one day on pro day to go out and throw. When I show up to pro day, the, the scouts are like, who are you? And I'm like, uh, Matt Castle, I'm on the football team. I'm a senior but they're like, well, I don't have you on the list, but yeah, you can try out basically. So I went out and had a good pro day. And then the way that it all worked and getting drafted by the New England Patriots, which I hadn't even talked to leading up to the draft. I was just hoping to get into a camp, you know, go over maybe to NFL Europe, show that I can play a little bit, but get drafted by the New England Patriots, go there, develop for three years. Then going into my final year of my rookie contract to, to have everything happen the way that it did. And unfortunately Tom went down, but for me, it was my opportunity. And I can't sit here and honestly like look you in the eye and tell you, I believed I could do it. I mean, I thought <laughs> I could, but again, until you get out there and start games, and this is my first time starting games since high school. And I knew the system and I played in obviously in preseason, but it's a different animal, right? And then to go out and put together a, a year like I did and set myself up and say, I can play this game and have confidence, go to get the ability to go to Kansas city, get traded here and, and have a great, great um, run there for four years, Minnesota, but to make it a 14 year career. And I mean, I, like I said, man, I've been super blessed and it's, it's very rare where you see it. I don't know if you'll see it much ever again. I mean, I, I don't know how many other quarterbacks have ever, never start. I mean, have never started a game in college and we'll get an opportunity to play in the pros. Cause it's, it, the stars just aligned for me at the right times and I was able to take advantage of opportunities. So it's, uh, it's pretty cool though, to look back and see how it all did work out. And at the same time played out because it's, it's incredible. I think it's a great point. You said that it doesn't happen anymore. And it, I had a baseball so I played baseball in right. college and I was six foot tall. I was a fifth year red shirt and I threw like 84. So I remember asking a scout once like, Hey, I can get people out. Like you're going to draft me. He goes, scouts get fired for drafting 23 year old righties who throw 84. <laughs> like I don't get fired for drafting a high school kid who's six, four, those 90. And it was like, to your point, GMs can get fired for drafting guys in the sixth round to play quarterback that didn't play in college. Like that's a really right. tough thing nowadays with the way that just analysis and just the PR and all the information, like it might not happen again. Like that guys can switch positions and go, go from college to this or that, but like quarterback, that's a different animal. And you brought up the point earlier. And I think it's people who play the game talk about it ad nauseum. And Alex Smith talks about this a lot. Like, it's a mental game at, for the quarterback at the NFL level. It's not a physical thing anymore. If you mentally don't have it, you will not succeed at all. Um, and that's kind of always been their point. But 
Before we let you go, also want to give you a chance to kind of tell Chiefs fans, besides the five kids and the farm that you have down there in Nashville, like what are you up to now and how can Chiefs fans follow and support what you're doing? You know what? I'm uh, working for NBC Sports Boston. I do the pregame, postgame show for, uh, on Sundays for the New England Patriots game. I've been doing stuff in other media outlets. Like you said, I get go on Pat McAfee every now and then. And, uh, and I actually just started a Twitter account, believe it or not. It's the first time in my entire ever since twitter came out everybody's like you need to get a twitter account you need to do this you need to i was like okay fine i'll finally do it so i started a twitter account i think i've got 10 followers it's good most of them are probably my family members but nonetheless that's a new venture in my life um but yeah i'm heavily involved in the kids school and, and just doing doing it and trying to make uh make it in this kind of kind of business and realm and whatever you want to call this uh, but it's it's been fun man it's been a new experience and it's different not being in the locker room not being around the guys you miss the camaraderie but staying close to it from a media aspect and an analysis standpoint is still fun because you still have a, a pulse of the game and you're involved in it and so uh, it's been great and again i'm thankful for you guys having me come on and be a part of a. Uh, this this cool deal dude kansas city what's up <laughs> no it was awesome like i said i appreciate the time and uh yeah chiefs fans are very familiar like i said you're always spoken highly of with everyone that i ever crossed paths with with the chiefs and uh how you carried yourself and and everything with the uh with your wife and obviously you talked about with the having your kids um three of them when you were in kansas city so that's that's all really special as your kids last thing as your kids get older and go Who's more competitive in your in your household? Because your wife played volleyball in college. My wife played volleyball in college. Right. Our kids are now getting into sports. And there are times where I'm a little more competitive. She's a little more. What's the dynamic look like with your kids and two former athletes kind of being mom and dad? Right. You know what? Our biggest thing was every time when, when our kids want to play a sport, we, we say, look, any sport you want to play, play it. Like, And if you're going to play a sport, though, you're going to make a commitment. You're going to go, you're going to, you're not going to be one of those people that all of a sudden tell us that you don't want to play. Like if you make mm -hmm. a commitment to a team, you're going to go and do it. And, but to that extent, we want them to have fun, enjoy it. We're not one of those hardcore parents, which I know that there's a lot out there that are going to push them really early, but we want them to enjoy the experience and start to find a love for the sports that they play. And so they're all competitive, particularly against, I mean, against each other, which is pretty mm -hmm. funny to watch like the competitive nature. And then now they're starting like my sons are playing some flag football and it's fun to watch them start to develop their skill set. My oldest daughter started volleyball this year and she's playing on her fifth and sixth grade team. And then I've got another daughter that's runs track and cross country and also plays some basketball. My youngest is only four. So we tried soccer, but she got she, I think, averaged about a minute a game. So, you know, soccer we just try to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She's, just she's a big my ball life. of kids running around. <laughs> I love you, honey. Don't worry. I'll get you done. And if you go in the game, that's that's good parenting, too. Right. That's a good. tip. But um, yeah, we just try to give a, give them good uh, understanding perspective and just let them know, like, look, just enjoy it. Have fun and all the hard work and all that stuff, whatever you put into it, you'll get out of it. And that's just kind of what we try to teach our children. For sure. Matt Castle, appreciate you so much for joining us today on Outside the Trenches. Hopefully we can have you back again soon. And all of Chiefs Kingdom. Go follow him on Twitter. We'll get his Twitter account up there. Uh, Tucker will get that to make sure everybody knows where to go and where to follow you. But Matt, we appreciate your time, man. Hey, thank you guys. I appreciate it, man.
All right, that was the interview earlier today with Matt Castle. That was a lot of fun. It was a lot longer than we had expected. Didn't get to quite everything in there, as, as tough as that is to believe. Uh, but, Nick, I know that you've had a chance to be around Castle. You're one of the first person, because like I said, I didn't know him at all. And when you and I, when I told you I was interviewing him, uh, you're like, he's a good dude. Like, I've hung out with that guy before. Just what, what was your history? How do you guys know each other? Uh, just I know him through Ryan. And uh, so we've had dinner and stuff and, you know, hung out Lake Quivira, golfed, drank together. And just an awesome guy, just always about fun, uh, you know, really, really kind of, you know, bided his time well at USC, was behind Matt Leinert. And, you know, just a truly unique story. And the guy was super grateful. You know, he was a big superstar for the Chiefs, but but he was always down and always just having a good time. And that's what I like about quarterbacks, especially him. That's what I know I mentioned it like probably seven times during that interview, but just, and it's hard to say it to the person you're talking to at that time, but there were so many bad things that happened, not just like on the field, but just in general, like it was just a really tough time. And when I got the job with the chiefs and just heard stories of like, you know, a lot of that stuff and just kind of like people's perspective when things went down, I never heard a single person say a bad thing about the guy who was kind of leading it as the quarterback during some really tough times. Uh, the Eric Winston comments, the cheering, the injury, like there was a lot of stuff that fans may even forget, uh, but he speaks so highly of his time in Kansas City. And the people that I was around when I was with the Chiefs always spoke really, really highly of him. Uh, but before we get into the blind nil segment, let's talk a little Ravens Chiefs. It's the game Sunday night. Uh, Tucker, let's go with you. Just what are your kind of main storylines, your main takeaways, things that you're looking forward to following over the next couple of days and then obviously watching on Sunday night? Yeah, it's got to be the Ravens injury report. I mean, they keep having guys added to that. They're having pretty close to a season from hell since they're having all these guys land on uh, the injured list. And and that's just tough. You know, you're going to go up against uh, a, a Ravens offensive line that's going to be without their best offensive linemen. And it'll be good for the Chiefs, but for the Ravens, that'll be tough. I don't like sticky. <laughs> this is live. This is live, everybody. Um, kids just got home. My but, mom's right here. She's going somewhere with mommy. That's right. Exactly. Oh, right. That's awesome. That's so cool. <laughs> that could have been so much worse. That was great. Um, Tucker, you mentioned the, the Ravens injury report. To go over it real quick, from the beginning, Running back J.K. Dobbins, torn ACL. Running back Gus Edwards, torn ACL. Running back Justice Hill, torn Achilles. Wide receiver Rashad Bateman, groin surgery. Wide receiver Miles Boykin, hamstring. Offensive tackle, all pro, Ronnie Stanley, ankle injury. Guard, Tyree Phillips, knee. Marcus Peters, torn ACL. Corner, Another cornerback, Chris, we Chris Westry, torn meniscus. So oh. This is not just a few injuries this is certain right. position groups just getting absolutely decimated it's like and a whole season of injuries from the nfl and one team in like a matter of a couple of weeks it's just bizarre to me too it just yeah. only i can think of one season in uh st louis i think in 07 or 08 i think of like 10 or 12 guys on ir and they had to like it's you get like a you back in the day like a cap hit if you have so many guys on ir so you had to like you had to like make roster transactions because you know you still got to pay guys and I still kind of get your cap you know and it just it's you get into weird number situations on stuff like that so it's it, it's it extends far beyond what you think too. Again, thank you everybody who's listening live. Please, if you have any questions, whether it's Facebook, YouTube, whether you're watching on Twitter, send those questions in. Send those questions in. We'll bring them into the group. But uh, Nick, what 
what are you looking forward to watching on Sunday night when the game kicks off between the Chiefs and Ravens? I mean, as always, I always like to focus on on what I know and, and what I know is offense and defensive line play. And uh, I, I went back and rewatched it, and I was actually doing some some tweeting during this episode. Um, I hear all this slander on you know Chiefs Olan and Orlando Brown, and I watch it, and I'm like, this guy was solo dolo on third and 11s versus Miles Garrett and did just fine. Like, I don't understand, you know, a couple sacks, you know, and then, you know, they think he's garbage. And, and I just, I, I don't get it. I really don't get it. To me, if, if you're saying that, it's like, I don't think you watch O-line play or you know what to look for. So it just, it's mind-boggling me. So, you know, their Chiefs line is going to get tested. Uh, I think the Ravens have this uncanny ability to, to draft defense alignment. It's just, I mean, the, the guy they had they brought up from the practice squad is a monster on the interior defensive line. And it's just, God, it's just the Ravens are just, they're always going to be good, always got a good defense. I think Lamar was was looking ahead versus the, the, the Raiders, you know, thought they were going to breeze through them and got stuck. So now they're going to be hella motivated. I mean, hella motivated to host the Chiefs. He'll never do that again. If that's what happened, he'll never do that again in his career because now they're staring down the barrel of 0-2 at the beginning of the season now where there's one by uh, the AFC. Like, you're almost out of it unless there's some big injury at the top of the AFC. Uh, we talked about that earlier. I was disappointed in – I still think that the Browns now are the second-best team in the AFC just because I expected either Buffalo or Baltimore to step up and play really well, and either one of them looked great at times, but yeah, it's going to be interesting. Uh, anyone who's complaining about Orlando Brown, um, ask the Ravens if they would do that trade still like today, <laughs> if they're complaining about what Orlando Brown did, because the Ravens tackles weren't great. And Ronnie Stanley is that guy. And now that he's not in there, Frank Clark, those guys, that's, that's what I'm excited to watch on this game on Sunday night is Frank Clark. And more uh, than that is Tyron Matthew. Um, that dude, I just want to see him get out on the field and, do what he was born to do. And I love watching it. I couldn't respect it more. And I think he is going to have a phenomenal season uh, and go to show why they need to just give that dude a blank check and say, thank you instead of you're welcome. Yeah, I totally agree. And when you look at, you know, going back to the injury report, all of the positions they have injuries on, you know, offensive line, cornerback, are like the two positions you kind of need to be pretty good to beat the Chiefs, right? And those are the two that you really need to have a tip-top shape if you're going to hang with Tyreek Hill, who had 197 uh, rece- receiving yards, not receptions. That'd be a Oh my gosh, that'd be one hell of a, lot a of game. It's a lot of uh, plays. That is a ton of plays. But he had 197 receiving yards, and nobody's talking about it. I get it. That one came that he had one catch for 75 yards, but before that, you know, he still had over 100 yards. So he, he still had a good day at the office, and I and I think that man, this could be a good game for for Travis Kelsey too, which we saw the Ravens struggle against covering Darren Waller. And all respect to Darren Waller, I respect his career and everything that he's done. But man, he's no Travis Kelsey. Um, so I think that they could really feast in, in that game as well. No, he is no, but I think Waller's like the number two, number three tight end. Yeah. That guy's been a beast oh, yeah. for a couple of years now. He's, he's really problem. good. He's definitely a he's a big probably. He poses a big threat for sure. And he's a little bit bigger than Kelsey, and he can run. So, so that that's one of those things where it's just wow, just just absolutely crazy to see too. It really is. Mm-hmm. It really is. Yeah. 
excited to see the game on Sunday night. And anybody who's listening, don't forget, we've got the live post-game show from the Bullpen Bar and Grill in Overland Park. If you live in the area, come to 135th in Quivira. Come to the Bullpen. You can hang out with Tucker, myself, and Kent Swanson will be out. Nick, you can always come out south and hang out with us uh, for that road game. It's going to be a lot of fun. We've got a lot of cool stuff planned, and we've got some uh, bottles of vodka to give away and that's always a good thing and we've got some whiskey glasses to give away so we got some prize packs if you want to come and hang out and watch the game with us should be fun all right nick it's hold on hard. hold on, hold on. But before we start blind nil i would like to say too the uh, a, a tyreek hill appreciation for grinding to get 197 you know most most big time catches well you know most big time wide receivers won't be you know, uh, those Julian Edelman possession wide receivers, you know, they're, they're home run hitters and he grinded. And that's what I love about Tyree kills that versatility. Yeah. He can give you big shots or he can go, he can go make, you know, 14, 15 catches, you know, make you a lot of points in your uh, PPR leagues. 11 Did catches, I, that right? I believe it's what he had. Yeah. Did I say that right? Is that a real thing? PPR? Uh, uh-huh. yeah. Yes. All right. It's now time for blind nail. And I'm going to start this one off, Tucker, and I want you to answer the question first because I saw a couple things on Twitter referencing this situation, and it got me thinking. And it could seem like a joke question, and then I want you to think about it because they okay. might. So there's been a, a lot made of, of Mahomes and Brittany's situation with Sterling not being able to nap during cheap things. Okay? Follow mm-hmm. me. Follow me. And they complained. Saying like, hey, it's too loud. Like, I know this life. Like, baby naps at 10, baby naps at 2. That 2 o'clock is a problem if it's a noon start, whatever that second nap time is, whatever the schedules are. The question is, and then I, I you could almost sponsor it because it'd be GEHA because, of course, it would be. But if you put a light, like, near the scoreboard that was on when Sterling was sleeping and you knew as a Chiefs fan at Arrowhead to shut up and not be loud – do you think enough people would do it that it would make a difference that, hey, Sterling sleep light is on, everybody shut up? I honestly think that Patrick Mahomes has enough power and people respect and love him enough that I think it would be a little bit, I don't think it'd be silent, but I think it would be a little bit quieter. I actually think people would follow it if they knew what it was. For Talk sure. And I, do you think? Yeah, I know. I think it would be quiet. I think there's also those, uh, those females, those women, those mothers in the crowd that know the pain of that. So they're like, hey, let's be quiet. You, Those guys will get an elbow in the ribs. Be like, hey, you know, quiet down, pipe down. And I think it should only actually be used when the Chiefs are on offense. A um, little tactic here is to, you know how you always have the, like the quiet quarterback at work signs or the, like scoreboard things that go up, but you just have quiet Sterling sleeping. So you're going uh, you to have that sign schedule. Yeah, so it can only sleep, only sleep when they're on defense. Oh, yeah. You can tell I'm not a father. Um, so yeah, that's what I would do. <laughs> Nick, what do you think? Do you think the crowd would be quiet, quieter? No, I I, I don't see why they don't hire a, a, a nanny or not come to the game. That's, that's right. to be honest with you. Like, I'm not trying to bring a newborn anywhere, right? Like I'm not like I'm like no, I'm on a sleep schedule. We'll watch you at the house, or we'll get someone. So yeah. No, they wouldn't. Anyway, no, no, not, not not at Camaro Head. Ahead. Not at Camaro Head. Ain't gonna do that. I think you no. could get enough because I think to Tucker's point, anybody that saw it, if there was a couple of of moms around, a couple of wives, a couple daughters saying like, "Hey, Dad, like, if that was me, would you want the crowd to be quiet?" You know, something like that. And or it's it's Patrick Mahomes. We need to keep him happy, and so everybody just needs to shut up. 
I agree with that, though. Yeah, whatever it takes for Patrick. I mean, he's you know you win enough, you do enough great things, then you get a lot of respect. I mean, he brought Waterburger to Kansas City for Christ's sake. So, yeah. That doesn't 30. get talked about enough. Yeah. It really doesn't. Whataburger. He didn't bring him to Kansas yeah. City. He brought 30 franchises to, between here and Wichita or something. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. All right. Who, who wants to go next for their blind nil segment? I'll go. All right. So a lot of talk about week one. Uh, me personally, I have my thoughts on, on week one games. How much weight do you guys put into, into week one games? You know, what, what, what can you see? What do you, what are your takeaways from various teams around the league, performances, things like that? You know, you're looking at limited information. You know, you're watching preseason film. You're watching film from the last year's D coordinator, last year's O coordinator, you know, uh, last year's film, playoff film. How much weight do you put in week one? Go ahead, Tucker. I don't think I put a whole lot of weight into week one. I think one of those things that kind of is another example of that is kind of Aaron Rodgers' performance in week one. He didn't <laughs> play very well. And I I saw that there was an article in like TMZ Sports of like one of his former like teammates was saying that he doesn't have the competitive fire. I was like, dude, it's week one. Like, how can you tell? Like, it, how can you tell? Like, it's we've played one meaningful game, and he got outslinged by uh, Jameis Winston. <laughs> um, well, he was like fifteen for twenty or something like that. One hundred and forty-eight yards and five touchdowns. What Jameis Winston's stat line was? It was awesome. I love that guy. Uh, but I think there's a lot of reactions like that. And then there's on the other side, there's the Kyler Murray reactions of. Kyler Murray's going to win MVP because he had a really good game against the Tennessee Titans. Maybe the Tennessee Titans just suck, and there's a whole lot of factors that go into these games. Well, actually, we knew the Titans' pass defense sucked already, and they didn't really do anything to address that. So, uh, Kyler did look good. I love Kyler. Uh, there's not a whole lot of people I don't like, actually. I swear <laughs> I'm saying I just love a lot of people, but I don't He's put a whole Titans lot into pass one defense. Uh, yeah, you're right. I don't like the Titans' pass defense or the Steelers. Or the Steelers. You threw that one in there at the last minute. Like, yeah, I, I would. Like I'll put a little bit more stock, just not to to be devil's advocate, but I'll put a little stock in when it comes to like young players, because I think we could learn. And you kind of solidified what we what we all hoped and optimistically thought, but we all would have made the excuse had it happened if Creed Humphrey or if Trey Smith had gone out there and had some rookie jitters or something where it just felt like maybe the game wasn't quite like they weren't quite ready or they, they were a little off here or there. They could just, there was too much adrenaline, all those things that we would make excuses for rookies after the fact. We didn't see that. Maybe it's easier with offensive line and you look at quarterbacks and skill position guys. Like I look at a, you know, jet Zach Wilson uh, got hit a lot running around, but made plays. Like I like, I'm a Zach Wilson fan. I think he's going to, I think he's going to be good. And when I watched the game and, and the highlights and stuff, it was like, okay, like he looks like it's the game's not too big for him. And I don't know what that looks like. That's not always fair in a small sample size, but those are the kind of things that I would look for with the young players just to see, did it look like it was too much for him? Like everybody made those hot takes of Jamar Chase in the preseason. And then he goes out there and does what you expect Jamar Chase to do because he's going to be one of the best young receivers in the league for a long time. Nice. I, I think I, I like what you guys said. It's, it's, you got to look at it. It's, it's a real game, but it's such an anomaly. You know, there's so many outliers where if we look at, if it's, it's a funny thing, I always do it, but you always look at people who are, are flourishing teams that go four and they go, Oh, they're playoff contenders. And then they're mathematically eliminated by, you know, like mid November. So I think it's not really, I always tell people week one, it's like, you want to do what Kansas city did, 
right? Maybe you look bad, terrible, you didn't score enough in the first half and you come back and barely win it. Uh, that's what you want. You want to escape week one, basically. That's all you want. You just want to escape it with a W. That was the everybody's everybody's got hope. Those ticket yeah. departments, they gotta sell yes. some tickets. Yes. Tickets. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely do. All right, Tucker, what do you got for our blind final blind nil segment? We wrap up this episode of Outside the Trenches. Yeah, so it's kind of in the same vein as Nick's about week one. I was thinking about this, and, and Kent Swanson with Casey Lab tweeted this out that the Chiefs have a one-game lead already on the Buffalo Bills, on the Ravens, who we expect to be in there. We got the Titans they've got a one-game lead on. So there's a lot of these AFC contenders that they have a one-game lead on by the time you know they beat the Browns. And that's another team that they have a one-game lead on in this whole race for this first seed in the, in the only bye. So how big of a deal is, is really the Chiefs' win in Week 1? I know I just got done saying you don't put a whole lot of stock into these wins, but when it comes to other teams losing and you winning in, in the winning department, I, I feel that it could mean something down the road, but I want to know what you guys think. You know, I, I think, I think if you look at this, you, you absolutely need this because you got to say your, your magic number of losses before you're, you're not going to ca- capture that, that be that one seed, get that first round by, I got to say three. Yeah. Like three is that magic number, you know? So now if, if you're Cleveland, if, if you're Baltimore, you can only lose two more games for this new, what is it? 18, 18 week, 17 game schedule. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's really, and it's a crazy thing. Cause you could be like 11 and 0, and then you lose a couple and you're like no longer the number one seed. So I, I think yeah. someone has talked to me the other day is like, why is the NFL so good? And it's like, cause every game matters. And then you can never get too far ahead, too far down unless you lose a lot. So it's it's super crucial. And you got to steal a win when you can. And, and I think that's what separates good teams from bad teams is you know depth of your roster and you're able to pull through adversity and able to, to steal a win where maybe you shouldn't have won. Yeah, I sorry guys. I haven't heard most of what you've been saying. I've had two dogs barking <laughs> all my kids scream. I've been muted for the last like two minutes, just smiling and nodding. So um yeah, I, I heard the beginning of the question. And yeah, I I think at the beginning we say they don't matter, but at the end, every single thing is going to matter because we're gonna be yeah. determining, hey, in that 16th game, if it's already locked up, should Patrick Mahomes play in that game or should he play not play in the 17th game? I think especially when you're talking AFC back to back. And I think when we looked at the schedule and we've talked about it on this show, the schedule didn't lend itself to not taking these early games seriously. And that begged the question, like would Andy Reid show more early in the year than he generally does because of there's now one, you know, bye week that there's not two of the buys as far as the AFC goes, like there's one team and those games are going to matter because you go back to back against two of the best four teams in the entire AFC are your back-to-back opening games. So, yeah, I think it. we say it doesn't matter from a – you can't just like all of a sudden throw in the towel and start changing the way that you approach everything that you do. But you can't pretend that losing that game for Baltimore, and if they lose this one, they could say it's only two weeks, but you're 0-2 staring at the barrel of trying to get home field or win your division, and that's not a, not a good start. Right. Yeah. And the only reason I say week one doesn't matter is that you really can't tell. Obviously, you want to get a win, but I'm just saying you can't. To me, like people want to draw these like run rates or whatever where, where they say, okay, this is how your season's going to be. And like, no, it's not how your season's going to be. It's an anomaly, statistical, and everything like that. And that's yeah. why I just want to steal a win. Yeah. Power rankings. 
How many power rankings to come out every Tuesday morning don't work? And don't tell me that you shake your heads and people don't care. I've looked at the analytics people. I looked at it for like a decade. You all click on that crap. You, Every one of you listening may no. make fun of those things. You all click on it. <laughs> I made it a point. By the Hey, who was the teammate who, who ripped um, uh, Rogers? Because I refused to click on clickbait. But who was the teammate? Oh, I'll have to go back and look. Okay. I'm not 100% I sure. Okay. Yeah. I, was, I think it was a wide receiver. Yeah, oh. I'll send it to you. <sighs> yeah, Aaron Rodgers doesn't care about football. He just, he's done. It's so silly. Doesn't make sense at all. But uh, again, thank you everybody for tuning in to this episode of Outside the Trenches. Tuck, Nick, we'll give you guys one last thought before we let people go. Talk about the matchup on Sunday night. Tuck, what do you got? What do you want to leave people with tonight? I think it's going to be big, the Orlando Brown revenge game, so to speak. They traded him away, basically put all the eggs in the Rodney Stanley basket, which, I mean, fair enough, that dude's a good tackle. Uh, But this is going to be a chance for Orlando Brown really to show what he's made of. Matt Lane wrote a phenomenal article at the KC Network Substack um, about how this game could be a really good measuring stick for them, uh, for this Chiefs offensive line to see, okay, we aren't in – we did just face – Miles Garrett and Jadavion Clowney, two of the best defensive linemen in the whole league. And maybe they didn't play the best at times. Maybe they got beat. That's just what happens. But now they're going to go up against a pass rush that isn't as good as that one. So then you get to see, okay, how good actually are these guys? So that's what I'm excited for. Uh, kind of like what Nick already said is in terms of the offensive line, you got to wait for them to gel and stuff like that. No cast wide judgments. But yeah, I thought they played really well uh, as their first real game back against a very good defensive line. And I'm really looking forward to them dominating this Ravens front and kind of establishing the run a little bit. I don't say that very often. I'm a guy that really likes to air it out and throw it around. But if they could establish the run on a team that likes to run the ball, I just think that's kind of like embarrassing, right? So if you dominate a run-heavy team with the run and you're just running it down their throats, I think that's a great way to win. Nick, what are you looking for Sunday? Last thought. Um, I'm just looking to see what the uh, what the the rush assignments are going to be for Lamar. Like this is a game where, where you really can't expect a lot of sacks. Uh, you mostly want to want to contain because uh, Lamar. I mean, they're essentially going to say. You know, Lamar, we want to contain you because, you know, you can hurt us with your legs and we want to see you air it out. You know, I, I saw him made a couple bad passes on some really simple basic throws. And so I just like, like to see like, hey, you know, Lamar, can you beat him? You know, can you beat us with with your arm? And so I would not expect a lot of sacks uh, on, on this game from that Chiefs defensive front because they're going to be playing strict rush assignments and contain. And I think that's what you have to do to beat, beat the Ravens. All right, and guys, the thing I'm looking forward to and curious about is, is John Harbaugh even going to attempt to punt it, regardless of the down and distance, regardless of where he's at on the field? Because this guy went for it on like fourth and two from his own like 39 a few years ago. So Respect that. uh, yeah, the, you've got to score 35 points to beat the Chiefs. So I'm excited to see that. I want to see how that plays out with how aggressive John Harbaugh gets with fake punts, all kinds of stuff on prime time. He's going to have to try to steal possessions and steal points however he can. And the other thing, maybe to your point, Tucker, I want to see what we saw last year in like the Buffalo game. I want to Clyde edwards Lair, 200-yard, like 25 carries, and goes off. Um, 
on that. Is everybody, is everybody okay? Um, I want to see that Clyde Edwards Elaire game where he just absolutely goes off. Um, that's what I'm looking forward to. But thank you everybody for tuning in again to this special live episode of Outside the Trenches. Thanks again earlier to Matt Castle for joining me. Hopefully we have him back later this season. We'll have more guests. But thank you everybody for listening. We will see you after the game. Again, if you're in the Kansas City area, 135th of Guevara, come by the bullpen, say hello, and we'll get you guys something special for the first few people that come up and say hi. Thank you guys, and we'll see you next time. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.